Mac Power Users, Episode 36, Traveling iPad. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd. Alongside with me is David Sparks. How are you, David? I'm doing well, Katie. Happy to be back on the Mac Power Users. It seems like it's been a while. I'm uh, fresh back from Blog World. Of course, I've got the obligatory uh, Blog World head cold, as you may be able to tell from my voice. But uh, I've got my Gatorade by my side. So uh, looking forward to... uh, to doing this podcast because I was uh, been doing some traveling with my iPad and I'm very excited to share what we've what we've learned. Yeah, this is going to be a fun show. We're going to talk about um, can you really get by with just the iPad on a trip and uh, even maybe a vacation or longer trips. Uh, both you and I have had some experience with that now, so now's the time. Now's the time, and perhaps even a little more relevant given that uh, the MacBook Air was just given a pretty significant update. I know I'm. I've been thinking about, uh, is do I need one of those? I don't really need one of those. I don't know. But, you know, the iPad does a lot for me. So, um, so, so let's talk about why is the iPad an ideal device for travel? And then we'll talk a little bit about why is it not. Well, before we get there, I have to admit, I, was, I was, uh, heard the swan song of that iPad. I'm sorry, of the uh, MacBook Air as well. Okay. Looks like a nice, nice little computer. I'm glad that they're, they've developed it. I had one of the original MacBook Airs, and I ended up moving on because I just needed some more power requirements. Well, you the moved biggest, quite a bit. You moved from a MacBook Air to a 13-inch to a 15-inch, right? Yeah, and because I was doing a bunch of um, video and uh, and aperture stuff, so I wanted to get something a little more powerful. But one of the big holdups I thought with the MacBook Air when I had it was the two gigabytes of RAM. I'm really glad that now it has a, an option to get four. I think it's build to order, but. If anyone out there decides to get a MacBook Air, which I think is a good investment if if you're the right person for it, um, pay the extra hundred bucks and get the, the the extra two gigs of RAM because you cannot add it later. So right. you have to do it at the time of order. So I know we don't really get into current events too much, but if you're buying a new MacBook Air, get the get the one with the most memory you can get. All right. Now and let's see if you need to. Let's see if you can get by with the iPad instead. Yeah. In fact, it's interesting because one of the the other reason I kind of moved up to the 15 inch was because I didn't need to carry a Mac around with me as much anymore, and that is directly related to this wonderful little tablet sitting next to me. Now, is the iPad? I mean, it's not a netbook. I guess it is. It is truly a. Ta- it's, is it a tablet computer? I guess it's a whole class unto itself. Yes. Much ink has been spilled over that question. The, the fact is, it's, it's a neat little device that handles, uh, for a lot of people, most of their computing needs. I don't care what you want to call it. But for me, it very quickly became the, the, the travel around device. I don't carry my computer to the court with me. I don't take it on vacation. I, I rarely take my, my MacBook out of my office. So my MacBook has essentially became my office computer and my iPad has been become my traveling around computer. Wow. How about yourself? Do you, I I don't know. Do you use your MacBook on the road a lot? Um, I don't travel much, thankfully. Um, you know, I was just thinking, you know, as I was on the airplane, when was the last time I was on an airplane, 
Um, and, and I don't travel much. Most of my trips are day trips. And, uh, I think maybe less than two or three nights a year do I spend away from home for, for business reasons and, you know, maybe only a handful for, for personal reasons. So I don't do a lot of traveling, traveling for business, especially if I'm giving a presentation or, uh, need to have access to do serious work. Yeah, it's probably still going to need a computer, and and maybe that's where something like a MacBook Air would would fit in, or a MacBook Pro. Um, but you know, like uh, like this most recent trip to Blog World, I I was still able to conduct business. I was still able to get what I needed to do done on the iPad. But thankfully, no, not a, not a heavy traveler. I, I recently had a motion. I had to argue in San Francisco. I live in Southern California, so got on the plane, flew up, spent the night, and. Uh, the motion went well, and then it turned into a settlement conference. So I was there another couple of days. Didn't bring my laptop, did the whole thing off my iPad, and it was just great. I mean, I had all the motion saved as PDF annotated PDF files. Wow. So I walked in court with a very with a portfolio essentially, and uh, was able to get through just fine. Uh, there's a couple hangups uh, with presentations. We'll probably talk about it later in the outline, but. Uh, I think the iPad really is turning into a device for a lot of people that eliminates the need to carry a computer around, which is a great thing because it's so much smaller and lighter. So so let's talk about uh, traveling with your iPad. Yeah, well, this was the easiest trip I think that I've ever packed for because, of course, I procrastinated and I didn't pack until, you know, a couple of hours, quite frankly, before my plane was due to take off. Um, and, and size and portability-wise, wow, does the iPad win. Um, you know, you think about it, you've got a MacBook, even even a 13-inch MacBook Pro, the smallest besides the MacBook Air computer that you can get, still requires a lot of stuff. Sure, you got to have your power brick. Um, I carry an extra battery. I have an external battery, uh, you know, a mouse, all that stuff. Yeah, um, my MacBook Air, It w- or, I'm sorry, my, uh, whew, that was a Freudian slip. <laughs> I think you may be getting one. I think day. I might be. Um, you know, my iPad, it was the iPad. It was already in the Apple case. And I took along the Apple keyboard, which I got to say, I didn't use as much as I thought I would. But that was it. Those were the two things in my travel bag. Um, in fact, the largest thing in my travel bag, in my carry-on bag, was a hardcover book. And we'll get on, you know, a little bit into that in a minute. Uh, but it was the most pleasant airport security time that I've ever had. I actually asked the guy at airport security, I said, um, you know, what about an iPad? Does that count as a computer? Do I have to take that out? Um, and, and my guy said, no, they told me no, both at, uh, the, um, Las Vegas airport, as well as my local airport. I've heard other places say that people have had to take their iPads out and powered it on, but I haven't had that issue. Um, you know, so I just dropped it and, you know, took my shoes off and, and walked through and, and no problem. Yeah, I think that when the iPad was new, they were making you take them out because they wanted to play with them. But as, as I understand it, they've actually put out a ruling that you do not need to pull an iPad out of your, your laptop base or your suitcase. You can just run it through in your luggage. And the, the times I've flown since I've bought the iPad, I've never taken it out. I don't even ask them. I just leave it in the luggage. Nobody's ever said that I was supposed to take it out. Yeah. So that's that's a convenience. But you know, the thing you jumped over there that I think really is, as of note, is you, know, you don't need the power brick. You don't need the mouse. You don't need the extra hard drive. You know all the other stuff that seems to come along when you carry a laptop. Uh, when you when I travel with the iPad, I'm like you. I have an external keyboard. I have a little um, uh, 
stand that I can put it on if I want to type. And I have the charger and that's it. And all that stuff fits in a very small bag. It's real convenient. Yeah, it just fit, fit in the side pocket of, of my bag and no way we went. Now, when I actually got on the plane itself, my first plane out was one of these little puddle jumpers where you have to gate check your bag and um, you know your personal carry-on has to go above you. It can't go below your feet. Um, so I just took my iPad out, um, you know, stuck my, you know, rolled up my earbuds or I've, you know, I've got some noise canceling headphones and stuck those, um, just in the front seat pocket in front of me. It was no, no thicker than a magazine, certainly Yeah. stuck them in the front seat pocket, take off and landing, you know, up, down, you know, never had to get up, never had to mess with anything in my bag. You know, it was right there. Yeah. It's nice. And that long battery life is really nice too for travel day because you don't have to worry about, you know, consuming too much battery uh, unless you're traveling very far you're going to be just fine oh yeah i i think i was still in excess of 60 percent of my battery when i landed and it was a uh six hours i think total i was in the air plus plus time on the ground in the airport and so when you were in flight you also got to take advantage of in-flight wi-fi with your ipad right I did. Um, GoGo was the uh, in-flight Wi-Fi that was available on my plane. I had never used it before. Um, And one thing I noticed when we got on the plane, there was someone at the door who was giving us these little promotional cards. You know, they were trying to sell these monthly passes and subscriptions and things like that for frequent flyers. Um, You know, it didn't make sense for me because I fly maybe three times a year. But um, one thing I noticed is that if you're just buying it, uh, you know, one-off, the um the price for a mobile device is you know for my particular flight i think the price for a mobile device was about 6 bucks whereas the price for a computer was about 9 bucks so they gave you a little discount if you were just using the wifi on a on a mobile device so i thought oh well, this will be great it's going to it's going to see the the ipad as a mobile device because uh, it is to some degree it's, it's a mobile browser it's a limited browser and um you know i'll i'll save 3 bucks on the wifi but uh, alas, it did not. It saw it as a as a computer. So I know if I were on my actual Mac that there were, you know, some hacks that you could do to set the user agent of Safari to report back as mobile Safari or some of those things. And, um, you know, if anybody knows of any of those tricks, you know, feel free to email us or put them in the show notes. But, you know, just flipping around in the settings very quickly on the iPad, I, I couldn't figure out a way to do that. So I was like, oh, all right, whatever, full price. And that's really one of the the drawbacks of traveling just with an iPad is, you know, the little hacks and bubblegum tricks that we all know that we can use with an open platform like Mac OS X just isn't available on something like the iPad where everything is pretty locked up. Yeah, so I don't know, maybe maybe a future version, although there's probably no reason. I did enable the, um, there was some kind of developer or bug menu, but, but that didn't do it. So did you uh, use it for any reading on your trip? I did. Um, I used it for a couple of things. I I used it for uh, some video. I had pulled some shows down off my TiVo before I left. I was able to catch up on on some TV shows. That's what I used it primarily for. And that's a great experience. I mean, watching a TV show on an iPad, I mean, certainly beats those little, you know, four or six inch screens they've got on the seat back. Much bigger, much better screen. Uh, I I was the envy of my row. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I, I did use it for some, um, some reading on the, uh, on the Kindle app as well as before, before I left the Wi-Fi in my house, I'd loaded up a bunch of stories, uh, into Instapaper and had downloaded those and read those on the plane. 
Now, you understand, did you, you download them before you got on the plane or you did it on the plane? Well, I did it before because my first flight didn't have Wi-Fi. Yeah. Uh, one, that's one of the advantages of Instapaper on your iPad is that you just open it up and it will download everything. So it'll slurp all that down. So when you get on the plane, if there is no Wi-Fi, you can read everything. And then when you get back, anything you've marked to archive, it'll update itself. So what do you think about the Kindle and the iBook store? Have you compared them yet? Spending time. With well, yeah, let's talk about that. Um, and it's kind of a good good place for a, a question. We got a question from Darren um, who wrote in. He said, this weekend I was playing around with the Kindle app for iPhone, and I thought it would be great if you guys could do a show about ebook readers. I don't know if we're going to get quite that in depth. Um, but he said, how do you read books on your MacBook, on your iPad, et cetera? Uh, and, and that's hard for me, David, because we, we've got kind of some wacky family traditions in my family. Um, and, and we have this rule that if you give someone a book as a gift, you have to read it first. So that's neat. neat. No, I I love it. It's a great, it's a great rule. Um, but the rule in my family is if you give someone a book for Christmas, you have to read it first. So right now I'm doing all of my Christmas reading for all of the books that I'm giving people for Christmas. And, um, especially for like my grandma and my grandpa, I, I can't. I can't give them a Kindle book. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's hardcover books that, that typically is, is what we give. So, um, you know, in, in this particular trip, it was uh, Condoleezza Rice's new, new biography, which is, is actually pretty interesting, uh, is, is what my grandmother, who hopefully does not listen to this podcast, is, is getting for Christmas. Um, so that's what I was reading. Well, for political balance, just let me say, I just got done reading Jimmy Carter's latest book, and I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> well, it's just, it's the book my grandmother wanted for Christmas. That's why I have to read it, you know, didn't, you know. But, um, yeah, no, please, no email. It's my grandmother's book. But that's that's the rule, is that if you give somebody a book, you have to read it first. That's nice. Although, I, when I think of some of the books I bought my mom over the years, I think I'd rather gouge my eyes out with a rusty spoon. Yeah, well. But that's okay. We have different tastes in books. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Uh, but that book was like three times as thick as the f- iPad. <laughs> that's funny. So, <laughs> so this book is taking up, you know, half the room in my travel bag. It wasn't your Mac book. It was just your book. It was a book. So. Well, I wrote up uh, I, iBooks versus Kindle. Well, actually, I wrote up iPad versus Kindle when it first came out because I, I was a Kindle version one user. And um, I've been using the iPad. Since the iPad came out, I haven't really used the Kindle. I gave it to my daughter. But, the, um, uh, you know, there's advantages to both devices. And this show's really not about that. It's more about the apps. But um, the short version is if you're going to read at the beach or in the sun, then the Kindle's the way to go. And if you're going to read inside or at night, then the iPad's the way to go. And that's taking away all the other stuff you can do with an iPad. So, uh, And the Kindle's a lot cheaper now, which is nice. But... Using the, but because I was using the Kindle, I, I had bought all these Kindle books, and a lot of them are reference books. I bought like Grammar Girl's Grammar Guide, which I'm always referring to, and yeah. some of that other stuff. So I didn't want to lose those books when I moved over to the iPad. So I was really happy that Kindle put an app on the iPad. And I would say that in my subjective opinion, I think that the iBook store displays books better and has a little bit cleaner interface, which makes sense coming from Apple. Sure. Um, but the Kindle app works just fine and they're continually improved to improve it. They added a dictionary recently and 
now they've got it so you can see two pages when you turn it on the side and you know they've you can tell that they've been looking at it and trying to use it and frankly you know the apple app has a head start i mean it's designed by the same people who are making the hardware so i'm sure uh, it's a lot easier for the ibooks uh, uh software development team to to take advantage of the ipad than it is the kindle team now, that being said they both work fine i think just you know go to the one that has the books you need if the book is on both services I would buy it in the iBooks uh, application. Uh, but if it's a lot of times, it's not in iBookstore. So you have to go to the Kindle to buy the book. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Although I have found many, many occasions where the book I'm looking for is not in the Kindle bookstore. But I, I have embraced paperless for years. And as a result, it's, it was really easy for me adopting the iPad to, to include the, that into my paperless workflow. Um, to answer the rest of Darren's question, uh, there's a lot of PDF readers out there and there's different kinds of PDF readers. There's the kinds that are like a catalog that just hold PDF documents that you can read. And iBookstores is a very good one for that. It, it, it will just hold PDF books. If you have books that are just PDF form and you don't intend to annotate them or do anything else to them, you can put them in iBooks. Um, there's also a lot of applications out there uh, that will do that for you. And additionally, there are some very robust applications that will allow you to annotate PDFs with the usual PDF tools like strikeout and highlighting and commenting. And, you know, when I finished my book, as it was going through the final drafts, I mean, I was getting these PDFs back from the publisher. I did a lot of that final proofing just on the, on the iPad. And I'd go through and I'd leave a comment or highlight a word or fix a misspelling. And then I'd send the PDF file back to the editor and I never looked at them on a Mac. So uh, there's some really great apps out there. I've got half written a um, an extended review that I'll be publishing at Max Sparky probably in the next couple of weeks talking about the various annotation applications. And there's some really good ones out there. Right now, I'm kind of leaning towards Goodreader, uh, mm-hmm. which has added a lot of good tools lately. So I'll put that one in the show notes. It's only a buck, too, so you really can't go wrong with it. But there there are some that are a little more customized, but um, Goodreader seems to be the one I'm using right now. So. Okay, so uh, so you didn't do that much reading on it. Uh, you did mostly reading on a book. Yeah, I would have though. Maybe how, maybe the anti nerd of you. Maybe the solution is I just need to buy everybody in my family Kindles, but then I've <laughs> got the whole sharing problem, don't I? There you go. So. There you go. All right. Well, this uh, seems like a good place. So let's uh, let's take a moment and thank our first sponsor of the show, and that is Smile. Smile software makes some great applications like PDF pen and, um, and text expander, which I use all the time. And I use text expander quite a bit on my iPad during this trip because text expander is not only a great app that you can use on your Mac, but it's also an app that has a, it's also a standalone app on an iPad or an iPhone, or it can be used as a companion app uh, to text expander on the iPad or the iPhone. So what you do is you type a few keystrokes and text expander expands those keystrokes into longer bits of text, whether it's entire paragraphs, whether it's pages of documents, uh, you know, you decide, you know, some common uses is I'll do signatures in text expander, or I'll have boilerplate language in text expander. And it, it does a whole lot of things. You can have forms with with multiple fill areas in text expander, or you can have it auto populate certain fields with dates and times and, and other characteristics. So it's, it's an app that, that you can really customize to a great degree. And you can also sync up 
your text expander snippets, because you've probably spent a lot of time creating these snippets, uh, over Wi-Fi with an iPad or an iPhone, and then make use of those snippets either in the text expander app or in one of the many, many, many companion apps that will work with text expander on the iPad or iPhone. And that's really neat. They're, I think, probably the only software developer in iOS that has built their application to interface with others in the way Text Expander does. So, what, you know, there's word processors and all sorts of different applications that tie into that Text Expander library. So, no matter what you're writing, you can have the advantage of those quickly expanded snippets on your iOS devices. And all the best iOS writing software includes Text Expander support. Including one of your favorites, Simple Note. Yeah, Simple Note does, and I use it all the time. It's great. You know, in fact, I have snippets that I really just use on my iOS devices because uh, it's so convenient when you're working in Simple Note and some of those other word processors. So, Text Expander for the iPad or the iPhone is $4.99. It's available in the App Store. Text Expander for the Mac is $34.95, and you ha- can download a free trial on their website. They have a 90-day money-back guarantee, uh, or you can take advantage of their free trial. You can sync the snippets back and forth between Text Expander for the Mac and the iPhone or the iPod Touch or the iPad. Um, and, and I think you'll find that it's, it can really speed up your productivity. I was using it quite a bit taking notes at Blog World. And Smile Software was the first uh, people come and sponsor this podcast. So they always have a warm spot in my heart and want to thank them for making this show possible. You can find all of their information at smilesoftware.com. So did you do any uh, word processing, writing, and stuff while you are at Blog World? I did a fair amount of note-taking at Blog World, and um, I, I found that I'm really getting better with this on-screen keyboard. You know, I've warmed up to it as well. I, I just didn't take it seriously when I first got my iPad. You know, I have a Bluetooth keyboard, and anytime I do any serious typing, I would just go to the trouble of getting it out and syncing it up. But uh, recently, I've just not been bothering with it and tapping it out. Uh, I'm a touch typist, and I can't touch type on the iPad, but I still move pretty fast. Uh, oh, I'm getting close. I'm getting real close. So what applications did you use to do that? Oh, I'm, I moved back and forth between a couple of different applications because I, I figured that in order to do this podcast justice, you'd want me to try out a few. Okay. So what were your favorites? Um, well, of course, uh, we have to talk about Simple Note, which I'll probably let you cover a little more in depth because I know that's the one that you use primarily. Um, but I think I have settled on Evernote. Okay. That's a very popular one. Yeah. Um, I use Evernote. Yeah, it's it's very basic in terms, and that's really my only complaint, is it's very basic in terms of word processing. It there's there's really no text styling. It's 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 just plain text in Evernote. You can't do bulleted lists. You can't do outlines or anything like that uh, in the current version of the iPad app. Now, I have heard that that is one of their biggest requests is to add some additional text styling features. So, I hope that that will come. Uh, in future versions. Although okay. you can, go ahead. Okay. So, you know, I, I just never have, I've never figured out Evernote how it fits in my life. And that's just me. I know a lot of people love it and I'm right. not trying to diss it at all, but it's just, I like to have applications that do just one thing. Evernote kind of does everything. And I just never really found a, a right fit for it. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm still working on that a little bit. 
So I thought, okay, well, this is the perfect opportunity. But what you can also do with Evernote, of course, if the venue allows and if your speaker allows, um, is you can record audio at the same time. Yeah, which I thought so, was a, so it's kind a of like feature. almost like a live scribe pen situation where you're recording and taking notes at the same time. Funny you should mention that because Evernote did just add integration with the live scribe pen, but yeah, that's a another oh, topic for a different show. Yeah. Okay, great. And live scribe also has an app out now. Right. Uh, it's not quite everything it needs to be, but it's a start. Um, and if you have pictures on your device, which is probably more applicable if you've got an iPhone. Um, although if you have pictures stored on your iPad, you can certainly use those. You can, you can insert pictures into your notebook. Um, so what I did is, um, you know, I've got a tag in my personal, I have a personal notebook, I have a work notebook. Um, and then I actually have a recipes notebook cause you know, I have so many recipes that are like five in there. Um, but I'm working on it. So in my personal notebook, I've got a whole tag for blog world. So I created a new note called blog world's notes and I, I put a tag called blog world in there. Um, and I just, you know, started writing. I said, you know, first first session I went to was State of Podcasting, and this was the guy who did it. And and I've got, you know, seven or eight bullet points and my notes from his session. You know, second session I went to was getting sponsors for your podcast with Gene McDonald and Dave Hamilton, and and you know, these were my notes from their session. And I put in a few random notes here and there, and and before I knew it, I had a couple of pages of notes that I had typed in this iPad over the course of a day. Um, that I'd saved and there was uh, ample Wi-Fi available at Blog World. And if you had a 3G iPad, of course you would, you know, bring your own connectivity. Uh, and it syncs up to the cloud. And when I was looking something up at the table at lunch for a discussion that we were having about one of the presentations, I thought, oh, you know what? I took notes on that, but my iPad was in my bag, so I pulled out my iPhone. And there the note had already synced to that. Uh, when I came home, I opened up Evernote, the notes synced to that. When I was at work, you know, later this week, I opened up Evernote on my work computer and the note was synced to that. So, um, doesn't it make you just giddy sometimes when you realize how easy it is to sync things now? All comes together. So it used to be so hard and we had to, you know, carry around floppy drive disks and it, it never worked and corrupt something. Now you just type it one place and it immediately shows up everywhere else. Yeah. And, and not only did I, you know, this is a little off. Well, no, it's not really off topic for this session. It's, it's a little off topic for talking about taking notes, but in Evernote, not only did I have the notes from blog world, but I had this whole tag blog world. I had my hotel information. I had my air itinerary. Um, I had, uh, I was meeting up with some friends. I, I had Allison Sheridan, Steve Sheridan's. I had their hotel information in there because I was meeting up with them. I had their travel information in there. It was all available on my iPhone and iPad. And I had, you know, just made sure that it was synced up before I left. Yeah, I do a similar thing with, um, simple note and notational velocity. And I think we've probably killed this horse many times on this podcast already. So um, I don't know how many shows we've covered it, but there's a great there's a great way to sync text, and that's through Simple Note Notational Velocity, and it works the same way. It shows up on your Mac, shows up on your PC, shows up on your iPad, shows up on your iPhone, shows up on your Android, whatever it is. You've got text everywhere. I like it because it's just text, and for me that works fantastic. And I've got hundreds and hundreds of notes in there. I've got snippets of questions I'd ask a witness. I've got snippets of of future posting ideas at Max Spark. Yeah, I've got snippets of future shows for Mac Power users. Just anything you can think of. Uh, if I need to capture information, I put it in there. 
But that's not the only way I write on the iPad. I also, there's a couple dedicated writing app. There's kind of a really um, uh, recently kind of a whole bunch of, of great writing apps releasing. I'm looking at several of them. Um, one of my favorites is Elements, which has a really nice synchronization with Dropbox. And another one that I, I like right now is called IA Writer. And it's also really good. These uh, They sync with Text Expander. Um, there's one called Markdown Mail, which was originally written as a way to um, write Markdown and save it to mail. But now you can do a lot more with it. And we'll probably cover it with our next show. But um, for me, the starting point is always Simple Note because it synchronizes so well into the system I use. But for instance, IA Writer, I really like the font it uses. And it, it's got, they've made an enhancement to the keyboard. They've added some of the most commonly used um, uh, quotation marks and some of the things that take several taps on the on the default iPad keyboard and they put them at the top of the keyboard. So your display section is a little smaller, but uh, the, the most frequently used keys are there already so you don't have to stop and dig for them. And I really like that. So sometimes I find myself just selecting all of a note from Simple Note, opening up IA Writer, writing in it for a half hour or so. Then when I'm done or whatever I'm doing, I just block and copy all that and dump it back in simple note just so it syncs back up. And you don't have to do it that way. These applications also work for through Dropbox, but because I'm so accustomed to simple note and notational velocity, and I like the way they make search so easy. I'm really invested in it. So I'm I'm still using that as my depository. But when I want to really do some serious writing, a lot of times I will take the text out of simple note and actually work in a different word processor. How's that for a mouthful? Yeah. Now, what about Pages? You know, it's funny. I bought Pages uh, the first day I got my iPad. I couldn't wait to get it. And I really have not taken advantage of it. Um, it's got a nice full screen mode. And, and I could use Pages exactly the same way that I'm using the IA Writer. And Pages does a really good job of, like, catching misspellings and things like that. And, uh, and when I was working on the book, I did a lot of those chapters in Pages on the iPad before dumping them in the simple note. So it's still a good version and they have, uh, they've improved it. Now it, it automatically syncs to iDisk, which is a nice improvement. And that's something that, you know, everybody was asking for at the beginning and Apple responded. I haven't warmed up to it as much as you'd think I would though, because I generally like to work in just plain text. Well, one thing that I think is, especially when you're on the road, for me at least, that's almost as important, maybe not as important as being able to create documents, but as being able to view documents that are sent to me. Um, and for that, I use, I've got documents to go on my iPad, um, as well as just having pages and numbers and Keynote and Goodreader and just having some of those apps available that will open multiple different documents formats mean that it's very rare that I get an email on my iPad with an attachment that I can at least open it up and see. You know, when my assistant back at the office sends me a an urgent email with an attachment that's, you know, in some wacky, you know, doc X format that, that I can open up and say, oh, okay, well, that's not. I, I, you know, I can at least call her and respond to her because I can at least see it. Hey, you know, I, I, I paid for documents to go. Um, it's, it works great if you want to work with Word and Excel files. Uh, the one thing that I, I, my gripe with it, and whoever figures this out is going to get my money, is styles. Um, mm -hmm. When I work with Word documents, a lot of times they involve styles. And none of these mobile iOS applications support Word styles, which makes it kind of a non-starter for me. 
Well, we've covered uh, taking notes and writing. What about, you know, calendars and email and some of that stuff? Did you deal with that while you were on your trip? I did. Let's tackle calendars first because that's still a problem. Okay. What was the problem? Well, we got an email from Jim. My voice is giving out a little bit. You want to read that email? Yeah. Uh, well, Jim wrote in. I'm not going to read the whole email. It's a lot. But he, he, he was talking about ICS files, you know, .ICS files when you get a calendar invite from somebody. Um, it's, you know, it's a problem. Uh, a lot of people on enterprise networks and some of these outlook networks, uh, can send out these ICS calendar invites and on the current iPad software, you can't open them or accept them. So they sit in your email and I, I don't even know what, where it goes. I think it tries to stick it in some other application it has nothing to do with calendars. Yeah. And the funny thing is both my iPhone and my iPad will say, Oh, you have a, you have a calendar invitation. And it's like, oh, thank you. Do you want to do anything with it? No, thanks. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to change with 4.2. I pray it will change. Yeah. They, they, you can accept calendar invites. They show up in your calendar. And, uh, uh, so that's, so to answer your question, Jim, just hang in there and it will get better for those calendar invites. Uh, overall though, I have to say that I really like working with the calendar on the iPad. Um, I've got an exchange network at work. I'm plugged into it with my iPad. It's actually a more stable exchange network than my, uh, using the exchange network off my Mac, if that makes any sense, because we're using a, I think it's a Microsoft exchange, I think 2007 or 2004. It's, it's an older version. I think you have 2003. Yes. It's 2003. I don't know. I must be getting old. My mind is slipping. Yeah. I remember that from an old show and you don't know. Yeah. Okay. So, so we have a 2003 calendar exchange if I try and fix it on my Mac, it doesn't work because, it, you know, Mac OS X exchange support doesn't go back to that old stuff. But it works just fine on the iPad. So I manage a lot of my work stuff using my phone and iPad. And it works just fine. So I, I think it's really uh, of benefit. I would like to have a little more customization. And I'm really pleased to see there's a crop of interesting applications coming out on the iPhone alternate calendar apps. So I imagine that this stuff is also in development Um for uh, the iPad as well. Uh, a quick plug, there's one for the iPhone called Helvetical, I think it's called. And I usually <laughs> stay away from applications that have font names in them. It just seems kind of silly, but it's a really great calendar application. I've been using my iPhone now for about a month. But will it let you accept ICS files and put them in your calendar? You know, I'm not sure if it does or not, because I usually handle that stuff on the iPad. Yeah. Well, Jim was saying that he used an iPad app called Calendar View. It at least allows him That's to read right. it. There's one that allows you to view them. Yeah. But so then, it, but then he has to manually input the info, but he can at least see it. And then, you yeah. Know, put well, the info in, in November, uh, 4.2 will come out, and uh, I don't think it's a big secret that that may be solved. Yeah. I'm gonna get your NDA revoked. All right. Well, what about email? Um, I, I was able to get a lot of email stuff done on the calendar or excuse me, on the, uh, on the iPad. Um, although what I had to do is, is obviously, you know, being on vacation and have a, having a lot of things to deal with for work. You know, normally I'm a big inbox zero person and I like to deal with things as they come in, but there were a lot of things that I just could not deal with until I got back in the office, you know? Um, so I, you know, had to make a follow-up when back from vacation folder that, you know, a lot of stuff I just had to, you know, end up filing that follow-up when I got back from vacation folder and you know, yeah, still that's working on thing. following that kind of stuff up. 
I did that too. When I went to, we went to Canada for our vacation this year and I did make a couple because usually my IMAP folders are very limited. I usually just have an archive, an action and an inbox and a trash. But I added a couple for some specific work projects that I just wanted to deal with when I got back. And it was easier than to just dump them there than try to make OmniFocus tasks and, you know, archive them somehow. I did, however, uh, recently put a post up at Max Barkey about the ability to create a OmniFocus task um, with an email from an iPad alone. Oh, you should put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, it's um, just went up today. So anyway, but the uh, and it was based on a comment I got from a reader when I did my review of OmniFocus for iPad. One of the the complaints I had, which really isn't Omni's fault, is that there's no way to take an an email a message in your inbox on your iPad and convert that to an OmniFocus task. On the Mac, it's really simple. They have that Clipatron 2000, I think they call it, where you hit a key combination and it creates an OmniFocus task and puts in the link to the email and all that stuff for you. And uh, the, the way around it is a little complicated. You have to have a Mac running somewhere in the world, but they have a, you can create a mail rule. So you essentially forward the email back to yourself with a code in the in the subject line. And my code is just three dashes at the beginning of the uh, subject line. And then uh, mail will get it. OmniFocus will say, hey, he got a message with three dashes that I need to put that in the inbox. And it'll take the email, automatically create an OmniFocus uh, inbox item out of it, and then file, it, file away the forwarded message in the archive so I don't clutter up my inbox. And it does it all automatically. And right now I am opening it up Evernote. I have a note entitled Reasons I Need to Get a Mac Mini Home Server. And I'm adding <laughs> that to the reasons. Yeah, it's pretty nice. The The downside is you have to leave mail and OmniFocus running and the, and the Mac turned on all, at all times for it to work. And the way I've done it is I use it when I'm going to be out of town for a few days. Like when I went to San Francisco for the motion, I had it turned on so I could do that. But if I'm just going out of town for the day, I don't usually stop to do it. And using some of those great remote access apps, if I really get in a jam, I could I could turn it on remotely from the iPad. Yeah, or or the other thing you could do is just you know copy and paste and put it in from the email to the to the OmniFocus app on the iPad, which I think will get easier. Um, you know, as we have multitasking on the yeah, iPad. Yeah, but it's not quite the same because when you do it through the script, uh, it creates a link to the original email message. So then once you put the email message in the archive, then you can, from OmniFocus, click one button and and bring that message right back up so you don't have to go digging for it. And the link won't get broken as you move it? No. Hmm, okay. Yeah, if you haven't used the Clipatron 2000 yet in OmniFocus, and I know you're starting to use OmniFocus, you need to check that out. And I have got a ton of uh, emails, by the way, about OmniFocus since I mentioned that I'm going to be doing the, that screencast. And I am committing. I'm going to do the mother of all OmniFocus screencasts. I just have to get through a few things I'm dealing with right now. And then I'm, I'm there. I still want private lessons. Okay. Macworld, you and me. We'll, right. get it, we'll get it figured out. Okay. So we've talked about writing. Um, why don't we talk about our next sponsor? Yeah, let's talk about 1Password and using 1Password while on the go and while on the iPad. So, perfect use case for 1Password on the iPad. I'm in my hotel room at Blog World, and of course, I've shifted over, not yet shifted over. I, I had this problem where I shifted over to uh, West Coast time in the morning, but not in the evening, which meant I was sleeping like three hours at night, so problematic. 
But I get this email first thing in the morning from Eddie Bauer saying that there's a big, huge sale and, you know, one day only sale. So I was like, oh, well, I've got to go buy some stuff. Um, but all I've got is my iPad. So no problem. The comfort of my bed in my hotel room without getting up to get my wallet, get my credit card or do any of that stuff. I was able to uh, grab my iPad, go to the website, find out what I was interested in, place my order, get my credit card information out of one password, get my login information for the, one, the website out of one password. And within a few minutes, I was done. And within a few days, hopefully my order will show up at my doorstep all without getting out of bed. Yeah. You know, since they also put one password with this Dropbox sync and it's just become so ubiquitous between all these devices, it's just a great application. So one password uh, works on your Mac, on your PC, on your iPad and your iPhone, all these iOS devices and allows you to securely keep your confidential information, your passwords, your credit card details, and all that stuff seamlessly jumps between all of these devices. So no matter where you are, you can pull out your iPhone or your iPad and have access to that information. Um, they're smart the way they do it, though, because there's a separate password within the application. So if someone gets your iPad or your iPhone, they're not going to get access to that information unless they uh, get access to that additional password you have right on the 1Password application. And you can do multiple levels, and you can have a, a short password for some things and a longer password for others, so you can have multiple levels of security within the app. You can find all the information about the various versions of 1Password from their website at onepassword.com. The Mac version is $39.95, but you can get 20% off the Mac version if you use the link in our show notes. And they've got multiple versions on uh, of, of their iApp for the iPhone, the iPad, and so forth and so on. What's up with those, David? Okay, so they have the One Password Pro. If you're if you've drank, if you're fully on board with the iPad and the iPhone, it's fifteen dollars, fourteen ninety nine, and you get uh, the application for both uh, iPhone and iPad. Or if you just own an iPad, you can get it for nine ninety nine, the iPad version. Or for just your iPhone, you can get it for nine ninety nine, the iPhone version. Uh, you can learn more at onepassword.com, and I'd like to thank them for sponsoring the show. Gotta love you have options. Yes. Great software. All right, David, you're more and more into photography. How do you do photography with an iPad? You know, it, it's really a glorified storage device and photo sorting device. Um, I used to travel uh, on trips with my, with my Mac, which gave me aperture on my laptop on the road. Although I have to admit I never really used it because you're on vacation or you're out having fun. You really don't want to stop to edit and, you know, fix pictures. But you just want to make sure you have them all in the library. Uh, so I really haven't missed it so much because since I've got the iPad, I've been traveling. I take the iPad with the camera kit and I download into my iPad whatever pictures I took. And then I can sort through them and delete them with the big screen. And that's it. You know, I don't waste any more time on it when I'm on the road. When I get home, then I sync my iPad back to Aperture. Aperture slurps down the photos from the iPad. And then I can do any additional editing and rating and all the other stuff that you normally do with pictures. So uh, going on the road with just your iPad means that you're not going to have quite as much control or ability to edit your photos. But you do have the ability to organize catalog. You can forward and email them. You know, when we were on our trip, our family vacation, I was sending regular pictures off to my to my relatives of, you know, me and the kids having fun. And that's really easy from the iPad. I also like that big screen when you're sorting through the pictures because it's a lot easier to 
find the duds when you have that nine inch screen as opposed to, you know, looking at them at the little box on your camera. Right. I've used a couple of the photo editing apps on the iPad, not, not for long-term use, you know, not for professional use, but the Photoshop express app is, is not bad for a, a quick crop or some quick adjustments here or there while you've got the document on your iPad, at least if you wanted to crop something or change something very quickly before you emailed it off. I'm I'm not sure if I would use it for my final production. No, that's true. But and I I didn't mention that. But there's a couple that I like as well. There's one called Flickr Stacker, which is really good if you're using um, if you use Flickr if you want to upload and access your Flickr library. Um, there's another one called Color Splash, which was really started out as a uh, iPhone app, and it allows you to take all of the color out of selected portions of your photograph. Now the reason we were up in Canada was I had we went to Seattle for a friend of mine's wedding and um, uh, I got a really nice picture of them with the SLR walking down the aisle together, the new bride and groom. And that evening, just for giggles, I took that picture and I used color splash and put everything in black and white except the, the bride and the groom. And then I put everything in black and white except the flowers and I sent it off to them. And I was really pleased to see that she had sent that picture off to many people in her thank you notes. You know, she didn't like an email thank you note to a bunch of people that were there. And she had used that. And, you know, it took me all of about five minutes. You can look like a master even with an iPad. Yeah, it is pretty nice. You, you can definitely travel with the iPad alone for photography. And it, it really depends on your, your comfort level and how much you, time you spend on it. Like some of our friends like Victor who does the uh, typical photographer. Shutterbug. Uh, typical Shutterbug. Typical Shutterbug. I'm sure he probably brings his Mac because I, he does. He goes higher and deeper down that road than I do. But for me, I find it perfect. So uh, what other gear do you take with you when you're only traveling with an iPad? I mean, we talked about that. That's one of the beauties of traveling with an iPad is you don't have to take a lot of gear with you. Um, but but there are some accessories that that we take. So let's let's take a few minutes and highlight some of those. Now, you already talked about the keyboard, and I think you and I both use the Apple Bluetooth keyboard. Right. And I'm fine with that. I know that there are other types of um, keyboards out there. It'll pair with pretty much any Bluetooth keyboard, as I understand it. So there are some out there that are probably uh, bigger and have more keystroke to it, and there are some that are smaller and fold up and go in your pocket. So, you know, use whatever works for you. But I find the Apple Bluetooth keyboard just fine. Uh, a uh, couple of things about that is you want to make sure that you unpair it yes. uh, before you go because the keyboard will continue to send signal to your iPad and it can cause it to lock up or other problems. And, or just uh, drain the battery. Yeah, I would say also make sure you bring an extra pair of batteries. You know, have an extra pair of batteries in the bag. That's one additional thing you pack. Now, Apple does have the Apple keyboard dock. I did see one person at Blog World using the Apple keyboard dock and. I personally don't like it, and I don't know that it works so well for them. Yeah, I've, I've never used one, um, but I don't really see a need for it. Uh, I guess it, it, it includes both a stand and a keyboard. If you're traveling, though, it's not very convenient for travel. Because it uh, doesn't, it's an awkward size. It doesn't fold. Yeah. I have, uh, the, the, I have a, a case for my iPad that will stand up and hold the iPad at an angle, but even more than that, I bought uh, 12 South makes this thing called the Compass Mobile Stand for the iPad. And it's really small and it's a little metal device and it opens up like a tripod and you can 
put your iPad in a horizontal or vertical position on it. And I find it really useful uh, when I'm traveling. Yeah, I just use the um, the Apple keep or the um, the Apple case, and yeah. it's fine. It will you know prop it up at at whatever angle you want. Well, I'll tell you what, the compass stand is really nice. I think I'm gonna get one for my wife for Christmas because she keeps looking at mine. I have a feeling I'm not gonna have it much longer if I don't buy her one. Uh oh. Yeah. She probably listens to the show, David. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I hope she does. Anyway, um, in in terms of charging devices. I took a couple of with me. Um, obviously, I, I took the uh, the wall charger um, for the iPad, the ten watt charger, um, and I yeah, I charged my iPhone with it too. I don't think it hurt anything, but hopefully, it didn't short anything out. It didn't seem to hurt anything. Um, but CalkPod also makes a device called the Charge Pod, which is it, it's circular and it has multiple ports and adapters that you can plug into it. And then you can choose which adapters you want to use for it. I think it comes with three. You can pick those three. And then it comes with a coupon for three more, and you can pick those three. I, I think. I'm not, I don't remember. But either way, you could customize it. Um, and in my case, I end up getting two dock connectors, one USB connector, um, you know, two micro USB and one mini USB uh, adapters that all stick out from the central hub. It's, it's very boardish. Um, and then... <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at the picture right now, and that's a good way to describe it. Yeah, and and then from this adapter, one one in plugs into a wall, and you can charge all the devices. So the idea is they've got tips for cell phones, they've got tips for um, cameras, they've got you know micro USB, mini USB, just about anything you can conceive of. They've got tips that will will fit it. So the does I- it go ahead. does it charge the iPod with uh, ten watts? Well, he, here's the thing: it will charge the iPad it will not charge an iPad and an iPhone at the same time. Really? Because of the power draw. Okay. Found that out the hard way while on vacation. Thank you very much. Okay. I'm becoming less interested. So it will charge an iPad, but not an iPad and iPod at the same time. Now it will charge an iPad and my MiFi and my external battery for my, my, my iPod, but not, 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 not the iPad and the iPhone at the same time. I think it would, though. I think it would charge my iPhone 3G in my iPad. Yeah. Not my iPhone 4. And, and you and I are boring. I think we both use the same bag. We do. I took the, um, gosh, what is it called? It was the, the Tom uh, Ben Ristretto. Tom Ben Ristretto, Ristretto bag for my iPad. I absolutely loved it. You've got a review of it up on Max Sparky. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, but it was just the perfect size for me for the show floor. It had enough room for the iPad. Um, you know, plus I threw some pins in there and my wallet in there and my phone in there. Um, and I had enough, you know, room for some show floor swag. I could stick some t-shirts in there and sling it over my shoulder. It was very lightweight. So big fan of that. Only, yeah, I, I, yeah, I got one. I wrote it up and Daisy liked it so much. We bought her one too. So yeah, I, I was a little skeptical because I think it was what, 110 bucks or so. Not cheap. It, it wasn't cheap, but you know, I, after it, it's a very high build quality. I was very happy with it. Um, my only, yeah, not really complaint cause it is what it is. Um, for, for me, it's not dressy enough for everyday use. Yeah. It's, it's not courtroom appropriate. Yeah. I, I, when I'm carrying my iPad to work, I, I put in a briefcase and I've got a in case, uh, leather case for it that props up and I just put it in there. It's kind of like a folio and I put it in there. So 
I use a variety of bags. I keep them both in my trunk and just depending on what the context is, if I'm going to work, I'll just stick the iPad in the, in the folio and carry it up to work. If I'm going somewhere else, I'll pull it out of the folio, stick it in a ristretto and like everything. Dress everything. shoes versus tennis shoes. Yeah. I mean, everything's ready to go. I keep the compass in there and I keep it the, you know, the keyboard in the ristretto because the keyboard fits in there just perfectly. And I'm good to go no matter where I'm at. It's nice. So, so overall, uh, how did it work using the iPad for a weekend blog world? Um, it was great. First off, let me tell you, I saw lots of iPads at blog world um, and lots of Macs in general, too. Now, that makes sense. I mean, I think the creative, you know, podcasters and bloggers, a lot of them are Mac users. Yeah. Um, worked great for note taking. Like I said, I used Evernote. I, I very rarely use that Bluetooth keyboard. Um, now there was Wi-Fi available at the conference. I did pick up one of those Virgin Mobile MiFi's and and ended up not having to use it, um, which was nice. So they had pretty good Wi-Fi at the conference and as well as good Wi-Fi at the hotel room. Um, I have an Airport Express that I had set up and I was able to connect my. Um, uh, we should talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, a lot of hotels have Wi-Fi, but if you can, the best bet is to connect to the Ethernet in the room because. Um, you know, obviously Ethernet's going to be a lot faster than whatever Wi-Fi that you're sharing with everybody else in the hotel room. Problem being, of course, your iPad doesn't have an Ethernet port or anything that you can plug in. Um, so one of the things I did, I think you did on your other vacation, is I, I have a spare Airport Express that before I left, I configured with my Mac for travel. I turned the DHCP broadcast off, told the airport not to assign IP addresses, you know, gave it a network name, gave it a password, and it was uh, pretty much plug and play. And I, um, I plugged my airport into the little jack that they provided for me in the hotel room, and within about fifteen seconds, that amber light turned green, and my iPad recognized the network, and and I was connected at speed significantly faster than people who were sitting next to me connected to the hotel network. Yeah, you have your own. You create essentially your own wireless network using the Ethernet port. Exactly. And it's just in your room. And so all the devices in your room, because I travel, you know, I've got a wife and kids. So, you know, <laughs> we're all Apple nerds to one extent or another. So we had on our trip, we had two iPads and and two iPhones and two iPod touches. We had six devices. <laughs> so, you know, it's I know it's madness, but there you have it. But I had them all plugged into the Wi-Fi network in our room. And it's great. So if you're going somewhere just check ahead. And if they have just Wi-Fi, some of these hotels don't even have Ethernet anymore. A lot of them are going to just Wi-Fi only. But if they uh, are an Ethernet-style hotel, bring along an airport express and you can create your own network. It's real nice. Yeah, the thing is, obviously, you have to set up before you go if you're going iPad only because there's no airport configuration utility on the iPad. Yeah, and there's a ton of tutorials on it on the on the web and uh, it's, it's as easy as Katie said, turn off DHCP so it doesn't assign IP addresses, give it a network name, yeah. and add a password. Security and a password. Um, you know, the other thing, just taking notes on the iPad that I noticed, it was not as nearly as distracting or as invasive, I thought, as having a computer screen up in front of you. Yeah, and it's not as tempting to go do something else. Right, well, because there's no multitasking yet. Um, now, a, a couple of downsides. There, there were some downsides. Um, I was trying to do a, 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 a WordPress blog post from, from the hotel room because actually that day 
uh, the Mac World speaker announcements came out. And congratulations, David, you're speaking as am I. Um, and I wanted to do a, a blog post saying, "Hey, everybody, I'm speaking at MacWorld." Um, and I was able to get it out, but it it took me much much longer than it would have if I was using a computer. I didn't. I think part of that was the WordPress app was a little bit flaky, but uh, multitasking definitely would have helped because I was trying to go back and forth and copy and paste links and do that kind of stuff. Now, did and, you write the post in the WordPress app, or did you write it in some separate word processor? I wrote it in the WordPress app, and that was a mistake. I probably yeah. should have written in a separate word processor. And then I thought about, gosh, you know, I could just do this on in Safari. You know, why can't I just do this in the web web browser? So then I tried that out, and I found that actually using the web browser was a better experience. Um, but it was really designed for a mouse. You know, yeah, well, I, I'm interested in that because I'm thinking about Macworld and, you know, how much am I going to need a Mac at Macworld? And uh, I, I do a lot of posts at MacSparky.com usually that week and I use Squarespace and they allow me to uh, publish a markdown. But they and they have a great iPhone app, but they don't have an iPad app yet. And they keep te- teasing us about it in their Twitter feed. They'll, they'll talk about that they're working on it, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, I think I've Twittered them several times, you know, stop teasing me. Just tell me when it's going to be out because <laughs> I like it. it. It accesses pictures, it gives you your statistics and whatnot, but they don't have it yet. So when I do posts, when I was on my trip, I had to do the same thing. I'd write the text in Markdown and then I would put it in um, to the WordPress in, in, in Safari. I would open the app and create a new post, which worked okay, but uh, integrating photographs or images would be a lot easier with a native application. So I think that is a downside. I don't think the blogging support is quite there on the iPad yet. I know that a lot of people are working on it, but it's still not quite there. You'd, you'd be better off using a Mac for that stuff. Yeah. Well, it sounds to me like you did okay, though. So how long were you there? Like a week? No, I wasn't there that long. Um, I flew out. Let's see. I flew out Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I was there four days. Okay, well, you know, I've traveled with my iPad, too. I went up to uh, that wedding in Seattle and Canadian excursion, and that was a, um, I want to say it was an eight-day trip or a seven-day trip. We were up there at least a week, and uh, I didn't bring a Mac, and that was when I was in the thick of this book. And so I would get up every morning while everybody's sleeping in and go find uh, someplace that sold me a cup of tea, and I'd sit there and plug away, usually in simple note, and, you know, write you know, write a thousand words here or there. And it would be synced up to the to the cloud. So when I got home, it was already on my Mac. And that was really useful. I used the photography stuff. I mean, this is kind of just recovering some of the old ground we've covered already. But uh, I found it fine. I, I really didn't miss the Mac. And I, I definitely didn't miss all the um, detritus that comes with traveling with a computer. Uh, you know, so it was much easier to move around, especially when you have kids and all the other stuff you've got. Uh, one less bag and one less thing to worry about getting broken or lost. Cause you know, computer is an expensive thing and um, you worry about that when you travel. So I, I really found that traveling with the iPad is, is just fine. And I think it's going to only get easier because you know, more applications are coming out and obviously the hardware is going to get even more efficient and faster with future releases. So I don't see myself doing any significant traveling with a computer in the future except for one exception. And for me, the big one is... Macworld. Well, it's presentations. Yeah. It's in general. Whenever I want to give a presentation, I'm, I'm real particular. I, I like having that screen that shows me the next slide. I like being able to use a clicker instead of having to look down at the screen and push the button. And, you know, and it's really, really just kind of 
you know, just bugs me that I can't do that yet on the iPad because I can, they have Keynote on the iPad, you know, and I've got some pretty good looking presentations on the iPad Keynote, but I find myself using them generally with very small groups where I'm comfortable using the iPad only because of the context or if I'm just sitting across from somebody. But for giving a real presentation, like I'm going to give a Macworld, I think I'm going to need a Mac there. And it, it kind of bugs me that I think that's the only reason why I'm going to have to be carrying this 15-inch you know, MacBook around and flying with it and keeping it in the room and carrying it around, all this stuff just for a couple presentations. That, that bugs me. So I hope that somebody figures that out and makes it better. Well, you know, you've you've touched on the only reason I'm potentially considering a MacBook Air. Yeah, that's, that's the, true. That's the only reason now. That's the only reason. Um, my other, my only other concern with the iPad, and it is somewhat related to that, although I found it to be very reliable and I haven't had any problems. If anything, eh, same thing could happen to your Mac too. But if anything were to go wrong with your iPad on the road, I mean, it's pretty much a brick until you plug that thing back into iTunes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And unless you're traveling with someone who has iTunes, you know, I mean, in, until you plug that thing, I don't know how you would recover from some kind of problem with the iPad on the road. Yeah, but you know, in six months I've owned my iPad, I've never had a problem. That's true. I have, have not either. Have I haven't or? either. I haven't had a lockup either. Um, I don't know yeah. that I've really had one other than perhaps doing a software update that went bad on my iPhone with the iOS device. And I certainly wouldn't do anything like that on the road when I was traveling with it for a mission critical presentation. Yeah. I, I even tried you know, it really, I think it comes down to a lot of, for me, it's just a clicker. You know, I just need, I need the ability to advance the slides. I almost could get away with not seeing the preview slide because by the time I give a big presentation, I've memorized it all and I know what's coming. But, um, I don't want to have to turn around and look at the screen to see what's going on. That's kind of a problem. But a clicker to me is just essential. You know, the ability is to click that because, you know, the, when the audience looks at you looking down, I mean, we, we talked about this stuff in our presentation show. But uh, so they need to get I One day I got curious because I have this USB clicker. So I plugged in the camera connection kit with the USB. <laughs> and then I plugged in the clicker. And, of course, it didn't work. And as I was doing it, I was thinking, well, this isn't very smart, Dave, because even if this did work, how are you going to plug it into a projector? <laughs> you know, because you yeah, just took you up just the took only up the slot. USB port. Yeah, but the um, the, you know, the the dock connector is used for the USB port, so you're not going to get it to a projector anyway. But I hope Apple comes up with something, even if they came up with an app on the iPhone. Well, that that's could, what I was going to ask you. What about the Keynote app for an iPhone? That won't work. Um, I tried it at first. I don't know if they've changed it so you can since then. And, but I'm not really a big fan of that either. I don't. I don't know if there's a way. Maybe you can use the Bluetooth or. I don't know if there's any developers listening to this who have any ideas. Let me know because I think there's money to be made. Um, uh, there's just the, there needs to be a way to advance a keynote pr- projection off of your iPad without having to be standing in front of your iPad because it's very precise. You have to hit an exact spot on the screen. It's not even like you can be looking at the audience and just kind of swipe your hand across the whole screen. It doesn't work that way. You have to touch a particular point, which would require you to look down at your screen for every advance, which I think is is not good presentation technique. So anyway, I use it that I recently we've had some illness in our family. So I've been spending most of the last week in a hospital and um, not me, but you know somebody else. And and it's been very useful for me there, too. You know, I get that long battery life. I get so much out of the iPad. I'm continually amazed 
at how much you can do with this thing. And it's only beginning with all this great software coming out from these smart iOS developers. Yeah. I, I'm just, um, it's, it's changed my life. It really has. Yeah. You know what we should do, Katie, for Macworld? We should flip a coin. And, you know, the loser has to bring a MacBook. <laughs> I'll let you use it, you know, for your presentation or whatever, you know. <laughs> okay. Well, that's enough. Um, traveling with the iPad, I think, is very doable. And uh, I look forward to seeing the comments. I'm sure there's some ideas and workflows we might have missed or not covered. Uh, if you travel with your iPad, share your thoughts in the comments. Uh, we love getting your emails, but put it in the comments so everybody can see it. I like to, to share that type of information. Let's cover our last sponsor. Um, our last sponsor is Naval Labs. Naval Labs is the maker, speaking of some great Mac developers with some great Mac app, uh, is the maker of two of my favorite um, iOS apps, the Read More app and the Pomodoro Timer. And, you know, we talked about me traveling with that big old book back and forth to, uh, to, to Blog World and back that took up half my bag. Although I did make sure that I added it to my Read More Timer so that I could track my reading because as I mentioned, I have to read this book and a couple of other books before Christmas so that they will be done uh, by gift giving time. So I need to, to take even better care of, of tracking those in read more. But basically what read more does is it's an app um, that will allow you to put the information about the books that you're reading uh, and it will keep track of your reading sessions. It will predict when you finish the books. It gives you an opportunity to jot down notes about your reading session and hopefully it'll give you a little motivation by looking at your reading history and seeing how much you've read or how much you haven't read um, to get your book finished. And what I like is it will project when you'll finish or when you won't finish. So uh, Read More app is available in the App Store and it's $1.99 and there'll be a link in our show notes to the developer's website. Yeah, and they also have the Pomodoro timer, which allows you to work productively in short bursts. Uh, you can set the timer as long as you want. If you want to follow the traditional Pomodoro rules, you can set it for 25 minutes with five-minute breaks, but you can change it depending on what you need. And it's really cleverly done. It's a great interface and uh, a good way to kickstart yourself when you find yourself getting distracted too easily. And that's also Pomodoro timer. You can find that also in the iTunes store and the uh, uh, we'd like to thank uh, Naval Labs for supporting Mac Power users. This is the last ad on their run. Uh, we'll be having a new uh, advertiser next week or next show. But it's great having uh, iOS developers come in here and go to our audience. And we really appreciate all the support everyone has shown for Naval Labs. That's N-A-V-E-L-L-A-B-S dot com. All right. So, of course, David, after we talked, and, and actually we got some great feedback about our our last show. Um, you know, doing kind of the Q and a show. I think a lot of people said we'd like it occasionally. Yeah. That, that's how I feel about it too. I think it's good once in a while. Yeah. So we'll, we'll do it a couple times a year maybe. Um, but of course the week after we updated or maybe two weeks after we updated our show, uh, Quicken released a major update to Quicken essentials. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they were listening to us and said, stop everything. Everybody stop. Katie's upset. Yeah. Update the app. I think that's what happened. It's interesting because we had a lot of email from people who agreed with you about Quicken. Yeah. Well, Quicken Essentials, just in you know fairness, we should tell you that Quicken Essentials 1.5 was released. Uh, and they and the problem that I was having specifically with downloading uh, from my registers without having to re-download and re-enter all my password information has finally been resolved. So 
I, it, it, the, the app is now working for me as advertised, so I'm very pleased with that. But besides these bug fixes, other new features include the ability to write and print checks, which was no longer there, um, the ability to add attachments to transitions or transactions as well as notations, um, and as well as the ability to enter holdings and balances into investment accounts, which you couldn't do before. You can also now export financial information into TurboTax, and they've greatly expanded the number of financial institutions that offer data downloads from 4,000 to 12,000. So uh, hopefully, you know, if you were kind of on the fence about Quicken Essentials, it it seems like they're working on it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I suspect what happened was the first they needed to get the, the rewritten code out the door, and then they're going to start, you know, adding on the additional features. Yeah. Um, and, and we had a lot of comments about Quicken Essentials in, in other apps. I'm just going to try to uh, summarize some of them. But but one that I thought was worth mentioning is is Eddie wrote, and he said, uh, for starters, Katie, uh, you weren't too hard on Quicken Essentials for Mac. It, it deserves criticism um, and that I should not be afraid to express that criticism. And I I, I just want to say that that I'm not and I won't be in the future. If, if there's something that I don't like, um, you know, short of slander, or anything like that, I will, I will be sure, uh, to let you know about it. So, um, uh, in an Eddie expressed that, that he had some frustrations as well, uh, uh, with, with Quicken Essentials and, um, just some of the support or, or lack of support that he felt that the Mac community had been getting, uh, from the developers, but yeah, maybe hopefully this, this recent update will, uh, you know, help smooth some, some over, but, but Eddie says he's, uh, he's given iBank a try. I continue to think that a lot of this is going to come down to cloud-based solutions like Mint. I think yeah. that that's going to be the equalizer in all of this. Uh, Steven wrote in, he likes Money Works. Money Well. Money Well, I'm sorry. Or no, Money Works, maybe. I get Jita who likes Money Well. Yeah. yeah. So there, there's all these little uh, money management apps coming out, and uh, I think it's because nobody's happy with any of them. Yeah, but, I hadn't heard of Money Works, but I did hear of Money Well, which uh, Gita likes. Yeah, and then BJ recommends JumpSoft Money, which I've not used at all. And we also heard about the uh, AirPlay on the car stereo. That was an interesting idea. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, you know, AirPlay is coming. Uh, it's Apple has apparently licensed the AirPlay technology to manufacturers who can create car stereos that will allow you to stream from an iPhone to a or an iPod Touch to a car stereo. I know that you. Uh, uh, I, I'm going to mess up the technology a little bit, but I think it's called a, A2DP, A2DP, something Bluetooth, the stereo streaming Bluetooth technology uh, that's available in more recent versions of the iPhone um, is available in some car stereos that may have uh, uh, support for that uh, stereo Bluetooth streaming technology. My car does not support it, but, um, you know, I've got one of those um, Bluetooth speakerphones that support it. So, before I plug my iPhone into my car, you know, the first few seconds of any podcast I play end up playing through my Bluetooth speakerphone. So I always think that's funny. Mustafa also wrote in and recommended Stitcher. Uh, Stitcher is a iPhone app that allows you to stream and download podcasts without going through iTunes. I thought it was kind of neat. And I also thought it was just cool that we heard from someone in Africa. Yeah, very cool. Uh, we also got an email from David. I'm assuming this isn't you. Yeah. Uh, who said that he had a question about how to use Google Voice on our phones. Um, and we probably could have done uh, saved this for our, our next Q&A show, but seeing as that will probably be a while, we thought we'd go ahead and address it here. Um, 
there's a mobile app for Google or mobile mobile web app for Google Voice that I've never really liked. Um, supposedly, the uh, official Google Voice app has been approved and is coming, but I I haven't seen it yet on the Apple Store. Although I'm sure now that I've said that, it will be available. Um, I use a third party app on my iPhone now called GV Mobile Plus, and I've been very happy with that. It's made Google Voice a lot more useful. Um, on my iPhone. And it, it's basically uh, almost a replacement phone and dialer for the iPhone that will, you know, connect with your address book and it will show your Google voice SMS messages and voice messages and, and things like that within this GV mobile plus app. And the, I guess one of the questions is how do you make Google voice work in your life? I mean, there's a lot of ways you can use it just to replace your existing phone system and, and use that number with everyone. Um, I'm using Google voice. I have a Google voice number now and I'm going to be using it with the Max Sparky related stuff when I speak with people about whatever it's advertising or, or you know, uh, future reviews or anything on the on the site. I can give out a phone number that's not my standard phone number, so I'm not you know sitting in the office or at some family event and having it ringing a lot. So it's nice you can set it up so it goes directly to voicemail if it comes in on that number. I mean, the Google Voice is very customizable. It's it's an interesting service yeah. and worth checking out if you haven't yet. Um, I, I basically have two phones. I have a cell phone and I have a home phone. Um, I don't use my home phone much except that my cell phone service is kind of spotty at home, but my Google voice is my home phone. I couldn't tell you what my home phone number is because it all, the phone number that I give people as my home phone number is my Google voice number and it forwards to whatever my home phone number is. And it also forwards to my cell phone. Um, the beauty of that is I'm free to dump my home phone and move it to whoever I want to, whoever gives me the best deal. Um, the problem with using my Google voice number is my only number is that I've had my cell phone number for like 10 years now. And it's the number who everybody in the world who knows me has is my number. And you're just, I'm not going to be able to change that. I'm not going to be able to move everybody over to a new phone number. It's kind of like having an email address for that long. I did that when I first, when I first got my iPhone, I, I got a new cell phone number and it was liberating. I loved it because <laughs> all these people had collected my cell phone over the years and some of them I didn't want to hear from anymore. <laughs> so well, there you go. I made a list and some people got the new number and some people are still trying to figure out how to find me. <laughs> well, I guess if they want to find you bad enough, they'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, but what uh, I do is, is, is my Google voice number also forwards to my home phone and then you can create categories of people and say who to ring where uh, and then who to ring never, you know, the stalker mode if that's what yeah. you want to call it. Um, and and so for people that I just meet or for people who I don't know well, um, that's the number that I'm giving out from now on. If people say, what's your phone number? That's the number I'm giving out. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, I, I think it's an interesting technology and I'm looking forward to see where this all goes. So uh, we've covered it. I think we've talked about traveling with your iPad. We've caught up with some show notes. How do you get a hold of us? Ah, there are a couple of different ways. The best way is probably to take a look at our website. That's www.macpowerusers.com. From there, you can find links to everything that we discussed on this show, uh, as well as links to all of our other contact information. So that is the uh, one-stop shop for everything Mac Power Users. And you can also send us an email to feedback at macpowerusers.com. Speaking of Google Voice, we got one of those too. Yes. That number is 706-457-6937 or 706-45-POWER. I'm amazed that a radio station didn't beat us to that. Yeah, well, I tried. 
you know how many uh, how many numbers I had to scroll through to find it? I, I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> There's also a link on our website so that if you want to call us and save the, or if you want us to call you and save the long distance, that that will happen as well. Yeah. Then you have uh, our Twitter is Mac Power Users. Yeah. And also uh, Katie's Twitter is Katie Floyd and mine is Max Sparky. I'd also like to give a plug for MaxSparky.com. Now that I'm not so busy with the book, I'm able to post a little bit more there. And I've noticed I've had some good posts up lately and getting some, some decent traffic. And maybe if you haven't checked it out, go, go check it out. Maybe uh, I'm RSS worthy. You never know. I think you're RSS worthy. Uh, and we love iTunes comments. If you have a chance, um, give us some feedback in iTunes. You can find a link on our website. Uh, iTunes comments help us to become noticed. They, they help us with our ratings. More people means more cool things that we can do with the podcast. So if you love the show, take a minute and pop us a comment in iTunes. We would really appreciate it. And I understand that takes time, you know, out of your day to log in iTunes and write something down. But it really does mean a lot to us and it helps uh, us find a bigger audience, which is always a good thing. Uh, and lastly, thanks to our sponsors, Smile, 1Password, and Naval Labs. We, we truly appreciate all you do for the podcast. So what's next? What is next? Uh, I've got a little pet project. I've been writing my blog posts and I wrote all my book essentially in Markdown and multi-Markdown, which is a, uh, is a simplified language for posting to the web and doing other things. And I think it's mysterious to a lot of people. I put up a thing in the Mac Power Twitter feed saying, is this too geeky? Uh, would you guys rebel if we did a show on it? And, and I said, yes. Yeah, <laughs> you said yes, but we got a lot of people saying, no, 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 we really want to hear about this. So, uh, next time, put on your propeller beanie cap. We're going to do a show all about markdown and multi-markdown. And whether you write to the web or you write for work or any kind of other uh, system where you need to keep track of different types of formatting and use your documents in different formats, uh, this is a really great service. It's a, it's a free uh, programming language essentially written by John Gruber, and it's been expanded upon by a few people. So uh, we're going to go through that in depth. So you're going to learn all about markdown and multi-markdown in our next show. And um, folks, we're going to, you know, one of the things that we've been wanting to do for a while and we finally decided that we're just going to commit to and then got a little push at Blog World to do this is um, we're going to commit to a set publish date for the show. We get a lot of people writing us, you know, we we did okay. You know, our goal has always been two shows a month and we've made that every month with the exception of September. We got a little bogged down with vacation and life and things like that. Um so we figured as one of the ways to kind of get ourselves back in gear, uh, we're going to commit to a set publish date, right? Right. Okay. So it is going to be the second and the fourth Sunday of the month is going to be Mac Power User Sunday. You will find the show in your iTunes feed on the second, by the second or the fourth Sunday and the fourth Sunday of the month. So starting in November, you'll know when to find us. Yeah, and I think uh, in November, that's going to be November 14th and 28th. You might get it a day before on a Saturday if you're lucky. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next time.